Hey, Good Nurse, Bad Nurse family. I wanted to remind you before the show starts that if you are considering travel nursing, you can go to their website today at trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse, fill out a profile and start seeing opportunities right now all across the country. You can see what they pay. You can see the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile today. You guys know how much I love nursing schools. Well, we have another one that wants us to tell you about their MSN and DNP family nurse practitioner programs. Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years. And right now, they are offering tons of scholarship opportunities starting at $10,000 for both of these programs. You know, I'm in the midst of getting my MSN. And let me tell you, I wish I would have known about these scholarships when I first enrolled. Visit them at smumsn.com and show them how much you appreciate them for sponsoring our podcast. That's smumsn.com. everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back for another week of storytelling and true crime and healthcare, nursing, basically a little bit of everything. So before I introduce my guest host, I want to remind our listeners that are living in Georgia, if you are a nursing student and living in Georgia, and you're thinking about going to the Georgia Association of Nursing Students Conference in October, please do and be sure and come on October the 8th. So you can see me and another nurse do a live Good Nurse, Bad Nurse episode. We're going to be recording a show and we will release it as an episode. And I would love to get to meet some of you. So if you live in Georgia and you're a nursing student, try to go to that conference in October. But today we have David Metzger, a pediatric oncology nurse who also happens to be an author of the soon to be released book, <laughs> Nurse Papa, and host of podcast by the same name. Welcome, David. Hey, Tina. How's it going? Always good to sit down and talk with you. Oh, it's really good to have you back. And I always enjoy having you on the show. I'm really excited about your book that's coming out. It's really soon. Yeah. I met you over a year ago, and we've been talking about this all this time. I know. I feel like we're old friends at this point. I guess we can get started with the show. We have a couple of really interesting stories to talk about. A couple of nurses. They are nurses this week. So the first one is... Bernadette Gonzalez. Bernadette was born in 1972 in Laredo, Texas. And that's a town that's way down in the southern part of Texas. And I know that because I Googled it. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, I would not have known. But it's right on the border of Mexico. At first, I was like, oh, this is a small town. And then I looked and its population is, is actually larger than the town I live in, which is Knoxville. So we have under 200,000 people in our little city. So then I was like, oh, so there's over 200,000 people in the city of Laredo. And then you live in Oakland, California. I do. How many people live with me? Over 400,000. Oh, wow. And I think I know a few of them, but not many. Not that many. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you live in Oakland, David's inviting everybody to his home for a dinner party. Absolutely. <laughs> Just You know, the pandemic <laughs> is completely over. So come over yeah. and cough on me, please. It's gone. <laughs> it's all gone. We don't have to worry about we it We have anymore. a big backyard. We can all have a barbecue. Not all 400,000 well, of you, though. Maybe like four of you can come to my house. Not at once. Not at once. (laughs) Spread it out. Well, Miss Bernadette Gonzalez, she was known when she was younger to be friendly and smart, very ambitious. She actually got a scholarship to A&M and was going to school there for a while and then she got homesick. Well, she was there and decided to move back home and go to nursing school at a local community college. How far away is Laredo from A&M? I have no idea. I don't, I don't Texas know. Texas is like a giant state, right? It really is. So you is. could be in the same state and could be like living in France. Hours and hours away. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I get it. She started working at first at a hospital at the bedside and then decided she wasn't really crazy about being a bedside nurse. So she got a job as a school nurse. Hmm. Started out at a middle school and then in 1998, she got pregnant and became a single mother. And shortly after that, she met her first husband. That didn't last a real long time. They got a divorce. And then she took a job at a local high school as a nurse. She's this young and rather small framed young lady. And so she decided, I better get some self-defense classes working at this high school. 
So she became a black belt and, you know, taking her self-defense classes. She was known to be tough. So one of her acquaintances in an interview described her as, quote, <laughs> I love this, constantly in a bad mood. I'm pretty sure I've worked with this person at least I, once or twice. worked with this person, actually. And, a, and another person said she didn't take crap from anybody. She just seems like this perpetually angry mad at the world. I hate my job. Why did I ever go to nursing school kind of person? Which like seems like a bad combination for somebody who has a black belt in some martial arts. Do you remember how there'd be people like Chuck Norris and Steven Seagal and they were so dangerous in their skills with karate or whatever martial arts they practiced practice that they actually had to register their hands as lethal weapons. I remember that. I'm not sure if that was if that was actually true if that or if that was just a myth that we talked about, but um I wonder if it might have been appropriate for Bernadette to register her hands as lethal weapons. I wondered that too. I I remember being so impressed, you know, when I was younger at these people and now when I became an adult and looked back on that I was like you know, that's really not as big a deal as I kind of thought it was. I think it was dramatized a lot. Yeah, I think it was a mythology that we all kind of... Willingly bought into. It was fun. Lethal weapons. (laughs) I know. I don't want to believe that it isn't true. (laughs) While she's working at this high school, she met Juan Pedasquia, who was a security officer at the high school there. He's actually four years younger than her. He had recently returned to Laredo after serving as a military police officer in the U.S. Army. And he actually dreamed of becoming some sort of a law enforcement officer once he returned to the United States. That was kind of his long-term goal. And after he got a job as a security officer at the high school is when he met Bernadette. He liked the fact that she was tough. He liked her lethality, her lethal weapons. He liked that, that she could take care of herself. While he was in Korea, he met someone and they got married and then he brought her back to the United States, but they divorced soon after that is something that will kind of come into play a little later in this story. Yeah, it seems like we've established that um, both these people have relationship issues. Yeah. But don't we I all, mean, really? Yeah. I mean, it happens, yeah. you know. So acquaintances of Juan describe him as, quote, the nicest guy in the world, and he was all smiles. So it just sort of sounds like a pretty great guy. Bernadette found out she was pregnant with Juan's child and... When she told him about it, he actually confessed to her that he wasn't legally divorced oh, from his first no, wife. Oh, no, Juan. Ouch. That seems like something that would be important to communicate to your lover slash girlfriend. Yeah, it definitely put a damper on the beginning of their relationship and their marriage, but they did go ahead and get married after he was able to finalize the divorce and before their son was born in 2003 when he was 26 and Bernadette was 31. So according to everyone around them, they appeared to be really happy. Everyone was just like, oh, yeah, there was never any fights. We never heard them argue. I feel like there's this deja vu. I say this all the time with these stories where, mm-hmm. you know, couples and, and, and people around them were like, wow, they just seem like the perfect couple. If you look at your relationship and you think people would look at you and say you look like the perfect couple, you may want to check yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Many people, they project something to the outside world and what is actually happening inside their homes and inside their minds for sure is very, very different. But there are those couples that kind of are always slightly bickering and you're like, oh, they're okay. Because they have like a real relationship and they can actually Mm -hmm. talk to each other or like couples that can kind of tease each other and like have this kind of likable tension to them. Mm -hmm. They're doing okay. But when you see this perfect couple and they're like just seem that like there's just nothing wrong with them, it's probably a facade. Whether it's a significant other or friend or anyone who in your life have you ever spent, you know, any significant amount of time with that you didn't at some point kind of rub each other the wrong way. I mean, it just, it's going to happen if you live with somebody. You know, Tina, you and I have never had a fight yet. Do you think we're due for some kind of misunderstanding? Probably. It'll probably happen. It will happen. I just hope it doesn't happen in a public way. Well, <laughs> you know, what if we get in a Twitter war? <laughs> you tweet? <laughs> get in a Twitter. That would never happen because I don't get on Twitter. Because <laughs> yeah, I've been talking true. lots of trash on you on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I've missed all of this. Yeah. Well, this is why. I was wondering why you weren't responding. <laughs> <laughs> so this is them, though. This is their little, you know, happy couple facade. And what was going on behind closed doors apparently was not anything like that. 
in May of 2003, he was really wanting to step up as a father to his new son and being more of a breadwinner or at least equal because Bernadette was making pretty decent money from what was said in the interviews as a school nurse. Apparently she made decent money doing that. And he, as a security officer, one of his friends who worked with him said that they barely made more than minimum wage. And so he, once he found out, Oh, he's got a child on the way. He wanted to step it up. More responsible. Yeah. And so he took the exam to become a Border Patrol officer. So on May 13th, 2003, just days after passing the exam for being a Border Patrol officer, Bernadette called 911 and told the dispatcher that her husband had just been shot. And she begged for them to hurry. By a gun. Right. That was floating in the air. <laughs> yeah, just ma- it just happened somehow. It was, such a, it was just, you know, magic. But she did say that she shot him. She admitted that she said that he he was lunging toward her. And so she shot him. And when officers arrived at the home, they found Juan bleeding, but still alive. And it appeared that she had been trying to help him. Paramedics said Juan was still talking when they got him into the ambulance. He told them, quote, my wife shot me. And then they were trying to calm him down and saying, hey, you know, she admitted that she shot you. But he's like, no, you don't understand he said, she shot me because I was leaving. Mm-hmm. He actually was not coming towards her. He was going away from her. Right. Isn't it something, even when a nurse shoots you, she'll still try to stop your bleeding? Right. There's something innate in all of us to heal, even if we are the aggressors. That's true. Well, the words that he was saying, that the last words, she shot me because I was leaving, my wife shot me, that was actually considered a dying declaration. And so it was admissible in court, even though oh, no kidding. technically it was hearsay. And of course, hearsay is normally not admissible in court. The person who's being accused has to be able to cross-examine or their defense has to be able to cross-examine their accuser. Mm-hmm. So it has been suggested that, that having a dying declaration admitted you know, as evidence actually goes against the person's constitutional rights. Because they're, you know, they're not able to confront their accuser, but because the, the person most likely died. Now, sometimes they will actually allow a dying declaration where the person didn't die because there was imminent threat. They clearly thought they were going to die. Uh-huh. And so they will allow that in. But most of the time, the person is dead and is not able to be there. And there is a witness who heard the dying declaration and they're saying, this is what I heard. Well, what the courts have said is that it doesn't violate the constitutional rights because the witness is actually the one that heard it and that they're the one that is testifying, this is what I heard. And you have the right to cross-examine that witness. Do you think after years of doing this show, you've become a relative expert on court procedure? <laughs> I know I have, 100%. You get, you, yeah, I'll, I'm, gonna, I'm working on a website right now for my legal services just <laughs> if i ever find myself on the wrong side of the law tina will you represent me you don't want i don't i would, I would not you would show uh, up with I would not like advise that <laughs> stains on your shirt and like a glass of wine yeah. <laughs> i'm here <laughs> i would advise against that for sure okay. do not be do not come to me for legal advice whatever you do at least not after I 2 have, p.m not after 2 p.m <laughs> Police did ask her to come to the station to give her side of the story. She wrote a four-page statement where she did admit that they had been arguing because Juan was leaving. So I'm not sure what the dying declaration really had to do with it because she literally said that in her statement. She said he was trying to leave or he was he had said he was going to leave and that they were arguing about it. She said that Juan had become consumed with the idea that Bernadette was seeing other men. Is there any evidence that she was? No, I... Not that I ever saw. It was just something that she said he was mm-hmm. concerned about and was accusing her of. Which is also hearsay. Yes. So they had been married for only, really only six months. And on the day that he was shot, she says that she came home to find him packing his bags in the bedroom. And she tried to stop him and she was really upset. And she, like, he would be, he would put a shirt in and she would take it back out. You know, she's like, it doesn't look good on you. <laughs> Right. And she's just like unpacking and he's packing. It was just a mess. So she tried to stop him and claims that the argument turned violent and he attacked her by throwing her on the bed and that she managed to break free. She called his mother rather than calling 911 or getting away from him. Well, maybe her she called his, his mom works at the uh, 
911 dispatch, maybe? Is that possible? Oh, well, oh, I didn't even think about that. I mean, it's one that. of those like little mystery clues <laughs> that you have to figure out when the right. when the doctor who saved your life is your mom. Do you remember do you remember those? It sounds like a little <laughs> yes, like a little puzzle. Yeah. Um, it's probably not what happened, but you know. Yeah, but it's a good it's a good little puzzle that you could give to someone, a little riddle. So, but she did call his mom and she gave the phone to him. Then she went into another room while he was on the phone. Now, when she went into the other room, she actually got his gun. And she says that she was afraid that if she didn't go get it, that he would get angry and get it. So she went and got it, put it in her waistband of her pants so that if for some reason he got angry, he wouldn't be able to get it. So then after he got off the phone, she said he was a little more calm than he was. But he still told her he was going to leave. So she said, okay, fine. But I want my red. I want the wedding ring back. Like she wanted his wedding ring back. Okay. So he gave it back to her. That's reasonable. Okay. And then she walked into the living room and she said that she just was basically just became enraged and infuriated at the whole situation. And she knocked over an entertainment center and there were stacks of CDs on it. And it just, you know, crashed and made a loud noise. And so... Juan came out of the bedroom to see what was going on, and she said he was furious when he saw. He's like, "Oh my Johnny done. Cash CDs on the floor!" Yeah, he was mad. Can you remind me when this took place? Um, what year? Two thousand three. Okay, so CDs were still a thing. I don't. Do any of your listeners know what CDs are? No, because most of them are young. <laughs> most of them are young, and they're just like, "Oh my gosh, CDs! Who yeah. listens to CDs?" So, for all your listeners who don't know what CD is. It's a small disc-like device that you put in a machine and it plays music. <laughs> yeah. But we don't well, use them anymore. I'm, I bet they know what it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm selling your listeners short. They're pretty smart, I bet. Actually, they're really smart. And I guarantee you they're putting their hands on their hips right now going, excuse me? <laughs> 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 um, so, I mean, I still have some. Do I? Is that true? I was about to tell a lie. Do I have CDs? No, I'm not 100% sure. Do you remember I, the first I, CD that you bought? I don't think I can. I don't think I remember that. Do you? Oh, yeah. I bought two. What was it? The first one was Skid Row, which was a band that you probably have not heard of. <laughs> oh, I you have. <laughs> they were kind of a heavy metal band. Mm -hmm. The lead lead singer's name was Sebastian Bach, which I always thought was mm -hmm. funny. And the other one was um, Jimi Hendrix's Greatest Hits, which turned out to oh. be the, the better choice of the two. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I had a lot of CDs, you know, in the 2000s and 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 the, in the 90s and 2000s, but I don't remember what the first one was. I mean, you know, if I had CDs right now, you know exactly who I would have CDs of, right? Yeah, Carlisle, right? I know you so well, exactly. Tina. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. What's her first name again? <laughs> Brandy. Brandy Carlisle. Yeah. Here we are. She says that he walked into the room and that he was furious. She said she had never seen him so mad before angrier than she'd ever seen him before and she was afraid he was going to grab her she didn't know what he was going to do so she took the gun out of her waistband because she didn't know what else to do she said that in her self-defense classes that she was told if she was going to pull her gun out that she would show it to the aggressor so that it would scare them away mm -hmm. just showing them so according to her it just made him angrier and she said at that point, he said, what are you going to do? Shoot me. And then he lunged at her. And she said that's when she fired the gun at him. So it turns out that um, her hands were not the lethal weapon, but the gun that she held in them. But I, I also think that when you are trained in self-defense that you, I mean, maybe you're more likely to be okay with being aggressive. What do you think? Maybe. I feel like having a gun there, I would be a afraid of the person getting the gun away from me and using it. So that that probably would enter my mind. If I don't use it, the other person may take it away from me mm -hmm. and use it. So I don't know if that could have been something she was thinking. Here's the problem. Oh, yeah. With her story. The police say that where she shot the gun, because there were like there was a casing on the floor, was 18 feet away from where his body was found. We'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. 
So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes this stethoscope so amazing. Uh, you can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. So Brayden, you actually reached out to me about CBD Stack because they sponsored a podcast a couple of months ago. And then I was so happy when you reached out to let me know that you really liked the product. So tell everybody your experience with it. So I get chronic headaches. If you saw my life, like what I'm doing, I just had a kid, I'm starting school, I'm moving into a house. I, I just have so much on my plate. So after getting this CBD oil, I tried it. I put it on and within 10 minutes of my headache, it started fading away. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. It, it was. So I love CBD stat. They have an excellent product. I use the 5,000 milligrams. It's a lifesaver. Their product is really pure, very strong. And that's probably the reason why it works so well. Yeah. They have a, a really nice, like 30% off yeah. discount. That's, that's amazing for all of our listeners. And the way that you get that discount is that you have to go to their website at cbdstat.care. So it's not .com or .org or .net, it's .care. So cbdstat.care, and then you put forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. So, and by doing that, then it sort of takes you to a special portal where you will get 30% off of whatever you order, which is really cool. It is. And it's 100% worth it. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys, if you're interested in it, go to www.cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse and get your 30% off. Well, one thing that came to my mind when I saw that detail was in the chaos of, you know, her being upset, she could have kicked the shell casing. It, who, who knows whether it definitely stayed exactly where it fell or where it landed. I don't know. But also like 18 feet, if somebody's lunging at you from 18 feet, what's the difference between that and six feet? I mean, they're still going to get to you in a few seconds, right? There's not that the detail of him, of him being so far away seems irrelevant. Like I'm not saying she should have shot him, but if he was being aggressive towards her from 18 feet, reason stands that he would be aggressive towards her at six feet, mm -hmm. you know, two seconds later, <laughs> like it doesn't yeah. seem to really change this change the story at all. And I think that's fair because if, if he was, you know, 18 feet across, you know, think about a, a standard little small bedroom that's maybe, you know, 11 by 11 or something and mm -hmm. then, you know, or nearly double that. And that's how far away he was. But if he were, you know, aggressively coming toward you and you have a gun and you have a couple of seconds to think, I don't think it's unreasonable. It, the problem is that she said he was at close range, apparently. Oh, I see. So it was different from her. Which is, um, yeah. it's all relative, Tina. It's true. It is true. And, and I think that that's why you have to kind of look at the big picture and like all of the details and not just hone in on one thing. There's not just one thing in these cases that definitively set, you know, decides whether or not someone's guilty. Sure. And it definitely wasn't a slam dunk because, you know, of some other things that happened later on in the story. She did try to help him, according to police, although the, on the 911 call, you can hear her telling the dispatcher that she was afraid to help him because she was afraid he would hurt her. You can hear her say that. You hear something in the back. It's very muffled. Oh, there's a lot of background noise, and it's really hard to even understand what she is saying. And then, But there's, there's also some, some background noise. It's, it's not easy to to kind of hear exactly what's going on and what's being said, but that's something you can definitely make out is her saying, you know, I'm, you know, he may hurt me, and then you hear her say, "Should I help him? I'm a nurse." 
And the dispatcher, <laughs> you can hear the sarcasm in the dispatcher's voice like, yeah, you know, you just want to be like, <laughs> yes. I have to think that every <laughs> every emergency dispatchers are probably like the most sarcastic people on, on this yeah. planet because they probably get calls from the most ridiculous people. Yes. So cynical. Uh-huh. And, and you hear these people on these recordings, and even in the midst of something that really is a true emergency, horrific, unbelievable, they still have the same exact tone. They're still just yeah, like... They're used to it, right? Right. Ma'am, calm down. You know what I mean? Like that whole... Ma'am, oh. is the killer in the room? <laughs> right. <laughs> Can you put him on the phone? <laughs> well, friends and family of one say that Bernadette quote, wore the pants in the relationship. So they really had serious doubts as to whether or not he would really be an aggressor. Mm -hmm. My wife and I were talking about that, that phenomena this morning about wearing the pants in the relationship, whereas we kind of feel like we both wear pants, but at different mm -hmm. times. And it kind of works out because we neither of us is fully in charge all the time. But I can see how in relationships where that doesn't occur, like maybe one person gets tired of the other person always being in charge. I agree with that. And I, I think that my husband and I, our relationship is very much like that also. So there are times when it just depending on the situation, depending on what maybe what decision needs to be made, where I just don't feel, you know, sometimes I, uh, I've said this before, where I, I can be kind of irrational when it comes to safety mm -hmm. and I want to keep everybody safe. And I would probably if left to my own devices, I would be, have my children locked in the basement with bubble wrap around them, you know? And I would just be like, guys, I'm sorry, but this is the best place for you to be <laughs> because I'm just so afraid of everything. And so I have to let my husband make a lot of, you know, decisions when it comes to things that I'm afraid of, like uh, my son playing football. I just was adamant that he wasn't going to play football. I relented even though I didn't want to. And sometimes I, I just have to let Mark make these decisions yeah. because I'm just thinking, am I being irrational? Am I keeping them from doing something that they really want to do? You're not being irrational. <laughs> being selfish, you know, like, so, well, sometimes I let that happen and then I regret it. I, I look back and I think, I was right. Darn it. <laughs> I shouldn't have. But, you know. My wife wants to buy our kids a trampoline. And I'm like, no, no. Like, they should change the name of that from trampoline to bouncy killer device that will land your kid yeah. in the ER. Yeah, they definitely should. Your wife is an attorney. I'm sure she is all about statistics. So she's I'm really sure not. you could. <laughs> really? She's not, you could, she's not that kind of attorney. Details and information. I mean, you could sell her on this yeah. easily yeah. With, with data. I don't think we're going to do one. this. Good, but that being I, said, it's good to have balance in relationship. Yeah. And when you're on a trampoline. It's good to have balance on a trampoline because if you don't have <laughs> balance, you're going to fall off and break your arm. You know, the worst, gosh, I swear, and I can turn anything into an, or a, you know, a conversation service. when it comes. I'm just, I, everything just bothers me. I can always see the danger and everything. I hate that about myself. But the thing is about trampolines is, you know, when if you have two people on it, when one person is, go, is all the way down, it's literally like landing on the ground. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, you know. So that's how our uh, legs get broken all the time. Also, like and they it, end up in the emergency if room. If you time it or time it poorly, I guess you can actually launch somebody like twice the height that they would actually go. Right. Anyway, they're very dangerous people. I'm sorry. I know I'm always lecturing you guys not to do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Here's another one: it's, trampolines. Don't do it. Yeah, don't do it. Don't go camping. Don't park next to vans. Wait, don't go camping. <laughs> what? You haven't heard my. Sh oh dear. Yeah, don't go camping. Let's just leave it at that. Okay. I, don't park next to vans. We're going to have to talk about this later. <laughs> Definitely don't bring don't your trampoline get... camping. Because <laughs> then it's called no. tramping. It's not good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How many of your listeners oh do you think God. are still listening right now? <laughs> they all left. They left. They're like, this isn't true crime. What is this <laughs> nonsense? These people just rambling on and on. It's okay. We got each other. Exactly. That's all that matters. The true, the tried and true ones are still hanging on going, I know they'll get back to the story eventually. <laughs> As I was saying, Bernadette wore the, the pants in this relationship and they, they were just like, there's no way he would have done this. He just wasn't that kind of person. They just couldn't see him being aggressive toward her and doing something that would have warranted her killing him. And so they said that she actually attempted to control every aspect of his life and they were still working together. 
at the school. He, you know, he's the security officer and coworkers said that if she saw him talking to a female, she would shut that down mm -hmm. right away and just be like, Hey, don't talk to my husband. I don't want you talking to him. Never work with so, your spouse. Ugh, it's a terrible idea. Terrible idea. I bet there are some nurses who work with their sp Oh, I, I know some. Yeah, I do know a few at my work as well. And I still don't think it's a good idea. I think you need to have space away from your partner. And also I mean, at a place... Do what works for you. Yeah, do what... You be you. But especially if you're nurses, I feel like you're always kind of talking to your colleagues about your life and like what's going on, what's bad and what's good. And that would kind of cramp your style at work because if you're talking about your husband then he's going to be like in the next cubicle over like, what? <laughs> like, who is this? Are you kidding me? And then you're just like, honey, I'm talking about you. Oh, that's right. <laughs> well, can you pen some meds with me? <laughs> <laughs> right. I, um, the, I think some hospitals allow people to work together that are in relationships and some don't. Maybe if there's a nurse and a CNA, they will not allow because you can't. It's a have, power differential almost. Right. Yes. You can't have that like a manager or anything, anyone yeah. who's considered, quote, over the other person, even though they're not really over them. But yeah. Yeah, they just, a, any kind of... I know a few couples who I work with who met on the job and are now married, which I think it's cool. It just, it is problematic. Well, and if one of them is kind of like Bernadette and just jealous and, you know, it just, it's going to cause yeah. problems. Lethal weapons while always wearing the pants. It's just, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's dangerous. Well, one actually died seven hours after being shot. Gosh. So police arrested her and charged her with murder. She claimed it was self-defense. Police were skeptical since, you know, she did have a black belt. And they just felt like it's not reasonable. It doesn't really add up. Your version of the events and the, the idea that you would have been afraid of him with the perception that everyone had of you and him and your relationship. And it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. It's hard to know, though. I always think of like, how would I perceive this if I was the jury in this trial? And gosh, I don't know. Like, you feel so tentative to want to label somebody as a murderer, especially if they are. Let's pretend that she is a battered spouse. I mean, who knows? Like, yeah. so many, so much happens that we are unaware of. We talked about how what we perceive of, of a couple and and how they actually are is can be so different. And like, you know, what what if the vague possibility? was true that she was actually defending herself. And then you send this person to jail for 30 years. For this right. reason, I will not serve on a jury. I just throw that letter away. I've I've only served on the jury one time because I don't wow. want that responsibility. Yeah, it is, a, it is a heavy responsibility. I also don't have time for it. But, you know, there's that too. I take it very seriously. And I, I do consider, I consider it an honor to get you to would. do it and a privilege. <laughs> but I take it very seriously. And I... Mm, jury, like, taking notes and like... <laughs> And I'm so annoying. I'm just sure everyone is just like, oh my gosh, everybody last, knows he did it. And I'm just like, excuse me, we will be going over all of the evidence. <laughs> Tina, we've been here for two days. <laughs> <laughs> there was video footage of him literally doing it. <laughs> he literally stuck a banana in her ear. He's guilty. Police are going, okay, wait, you've got a black belt and you're saying that you know, this is self-defense. You had to shoot him. So actually what happened is at the trial, she claimed that Juan beat her. She mm -hmm. claimed that she was a victim of domestic violence. And this really blindsided the prosecution because she said her entire relationship with him, he had beaten and raped her and that he kicked her stomach while she was pregnant. I mean, she went all out on all these details, accusing him of doing all these things that there was absolutely no evidence of that no one in either of their lives or anywhere around them had ever seen any evidence of. But the prosecution had no idea that they were going to present this as her defense. And so they really weren't prepared about that. All of Juan's family and friends said that there was just no way that Juan would ever do anything like that. They were shocked and disgusted at what they heard her saying about him. And so she also changed her story and said that he was the one that was trying to leave. Well, the problem with him, you know, with them not being prepared for that defense is that they kind of focused on a, a different attack with their case. And so because they weren't really trying to prove that that wasn't true, 
they're going, you know, the defense is going all out with these accusations and the prosecution doesn't really have a leg to stand on. They don't have anything to refute this. It's, mm-hmm. I'm kind of so surprised they didn't kind of surprised they didn't say, hey, we need more time because we didn't know they were going to come at us with this. That's not what happened. The jury heard all the testimony, deliberated and then came back deadlocked. So they had to declare a mistrial and she was able to go free. So she wasn't able to be a registered nurse licensed, but she got a job as a consultant and was able to raise her children for five years until she was brought to trial again. So that detail was so, really amazing to me because she was accused of, was it second degree murder or first degree murder? I'm not sure which. And then she was just able to like live her life for five years and just right. do her thing. Is that a Texas thing or is that <laughs> not usually? Is that okay. No, no. Normally in Texas, you know, they're pretty swift. They have pretty swift justice down there. So I was a little Uh, surprised to see that. This time, though, when they brought her to trial, the prosecution was prepared for her defense. They called her doctor. You know, she was pregnant, you know, right up until all this happened. She was pregnant and then had the baby. And then shortly after this happened. So they brought her doctor in and, and he testified that he never saw any evidence of abuse during all of her prenatal checks. So... You would think that if she was getting abused as often and as maliciously as she claimed, there would have been some sort of evidence that a doctor would see, you know. Also, they were able to enhance the 911 recording. And you know how I said there was like muffled sounds coming from the background, but you couldn't really understand what they were saying. Yeah. And what was it? This time they enhanced the recording and you could hear Juan in the background say it's a lie when she tells the 911 dispatcher that she was afraid of him because he attacked her. You can literally hear him say, it's a lie. He's like yelling it. And you could not hear that on the first recording because they didn't apparently didn't have that technology at the Mm -hmm. time. And so... Things are looking worse for her. Yes. The prosecution also showed, as I said earlier, that the gun was fired from 18 feet away and not at close range. So eight years after the shooting, after deliberating for three hours, the jury came back with a verdict finding her guilty. She was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 30 years, and she'll be eligible for parole in 2041 at the age of 69. Hmm. So she did try to appeal the conviction on the grounds that the judge didn't let in certain evidence. So she claimed that to support her defense theory, she sought to introduce testimony from Juan's first wife of his specific violent acts towards her. So the trial court did let his first wife, testify regarding his character for violence. So apparently the wife testified that he had been violent before. But they would to not her? allow... To the ex-wife, yes. Yeah. But they would not allow in specifics. They, they basically just said, you can say that he was violent, but you can't say exactly what it was. See, it's things like this that really make me question what actually happened because it's all turning into a giant he said, she said, or they said, because his family claims that he would be incapable of this type of violence, that he was a happy-go-lucky, nice person. And then you have his ex-wife, who may or may not be telling the truth, but she's saying, oh, no, he is very capable of violence. It's unspecified. But, like, doesn't that make you doubt the entire claim of the prosecution that this is clearly her fault? I I don't know. Like, it's these little details that make me very, very skeptical about if I would be making the right decision, which is why, once again, I will not serve on a jury. (laughs) I definitely see your point there, because when I saw this detail, I thought the same thing. I just thought, well, wait a minute. I thought we were saying he was all smiles and he would never do something like that. So I do think that it's possible for someone to, to have a history of, quote, violence and maybe, you know, being angry or whatever. We don't know the details because his wife wasn't allowed to testify. But I think that it's possible for someone to have a history there. And yet, was all of the things true that she was saying? Like, were, were all of, did all those things happen? Because for a year, she claimed that for a year, he did really horrible things to her several times a month. Like, and when you add it all up, it would have been like 144 times that this happened. And so no evidence whatsoever ever on on her body from you know any anyone around them it just seems very unlikely even just hearing her side of the story hearing his dying declaration what he what he said hearing him say that on the 911 call you know she's lying it's even hearing her side of the story saying that you know he was going to leave and I, I came home and he's packing she has a history of 
you know, kind of being a hateful person, you know, just like being angry all the time and, and being controlling. And so I really could see her coming home, being mad because she can't control him and he's going to leave. And she got, she clearly went and chose to get that gun and put it in her pants pocket or um, waistband and, and to pull it, pull that out. And, and she shot him when she could have left when she handed him the phone to talk to his mother, she could have left there. It was just not necessary for her to stay. If he was leaving, yeah, no, I, totally. then why, if he was leaving, if he abuses you, let him go. Why would you? And if yeah. he wasn't, and if you were the one that was leaving and, and then why wouldn't you say that right up front when it first happened, that would have been the first thing out of your mouth. I was trying to leave. Yeah, I, He didn't want me to leave. I had to shoot him. He was going to kill me. I think ultimately, you know, it's some it's somewhere in between, right? They could have both yeah. been very horrible people <laughs> that, that didn't treat each other well, and one of them shot the other first. I mean, but you're I right. Kinda I kind of don't think that about him, and I, I really want to think that about him just from everyone's testimony. And it's you know he's not really here to defend himself. She had plenty of opportunity to defend herself, and I'm not convinced with what I what she pr- put forth in the two trials, the two opportunities that she had. I'm honestly just not convinced. I do I do yeah. feel like that if he had been abusive to her and she was trying to leave him and she shot him because she was afraid he was going to kill her because she was leaving, that would have been the first thing she would have said. I I was trying to leave him, and that's not what she said. She said he was leaving me, and he backed that up. Because he said yeah. that right before he died. So, you know what I mean? I feel like it's, it is a little bit more cut and dry than... Okay. Well, know. there you have it. If Tina was on this jury, she would say guilty. <laughs> I'd be like, when is lunch? Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. So I guess we can get started on our good nurse story. This one is really interesting. Had you ever heard of this person before? I have not, but I did Google her because I kind of wish I had her life. Yeah, she's a pretty neat person. So this is actually the story of nurse Georgie Carroll. And if you guys don't know who this is, she's she's originally from the UK but she's been living in Australia for a long time. But she's a stand-up comedian, and she's absolutely hilarious. She is so funny. She's a very just natural person that just sort of talks about her personal life and does it in a very funny way. She talks about being a nurse sometimes in her comedy. She doesn't always talk about being a nurse, but I particularly like the things that she says about, about nursing. Before she recorded her comedy special called The Gloves Are Off, she had written seven solo stand-up shows and each of those sold out nationally. She is now a very familiar face on Australian television. She did a medical stand-up clip called The Three Stages of Nursing, and that went viral. It got 7 million views and got a huge overseas following. And now she goes to corporate entertainment for like health care conventions and award ceremonies, both in Australia and the United States. That Three Stages of Nursing uh, comedy routine that she does. It's so funny. She talks about new grads being the dolphins. And Mm -hmm. she's sort of skipping around on stage. And she said, I call them the dolphins because they sort of like, (laughs) they sort of skip in. They're so happy. And, you know, they have their little tool belts with every color of pen and all this stuff. And she said, fanny packs. (laughs) They have their little, yeah, fanny packs and their little tool belt. And they've got every color of pen and a set of spare kidneys. (laughs) And she said, (laughs) they all have these, (laughs) they all have these huge water bottles, which, Immediately, I'm just like, that is so true. They do have those huge water bottles. She calls the 30-year-plus nurses orcas. And she points out that orcas never attack humans, but that they're the only mammals known to regularly attack dolphins. (laughs) I thought that that was pretty funny. Yeah. I mean... I don't know if it's true or not, but I get where she's going with that. Yeah, it's funny. There is (laughs) that dynamic, for sure, in the hospital between nurses. I know that there is a dynamic between nurses and the whole eating their young thing. 
I think that that happens more. It's more common for that to happen with nurses who have been a nurse for a few years, just for a few years. So like mm-hmm. they're eating their young and that they are more experienced and they are they a new nurse comes in and they treat them badly. I mean, it could be an older nurse, younger nurse. It doesn't matter. A, it's not about age. It's about I'm experienced and you're not. And I can make myself feel better and make myself look good by making you look stupid. And I think that's what eating eating your young really is. And that's what I don't like to see. Oh, no, it's horrible. Actually, it happened to me when I was a new nurse. I almost quit because I, I, got, I got bullied by one or two nurses who had been there for quite a while, maybe like five to seven years. And the funny thing is that they were, well, it's not funny at all, but they were excellent nurses. I mean, they were skilled nurses, but just horrible people. It's not good at all. I mean, actually, you can really drive people out of the profession. It's funny, I guess, you can, because it is a phenomenon that is true. And sometimes just pointing out these things, despite the fact that they're horrible is funny, but in real life, it kind of sucks. Like you should be good. You should be nice to people. Well, that's true. But somehow Georgie makes it funny. (laughs) And sometimes it's good when you make things funny, it it helps us to learn because it softens everything and you can teach, you know, through kind of making a joke out of it um, because you can laugh about it, but then it sort of sinks in as, why are we laughing about it? You know, or what? Yeah. There's some truth in there. And you don't want to sure. be the person That's that they're laughing at. things are funny, right? I do think that someone could be listening to that and think, well, I don't want to be the 30-year nurse being the orca. Hopefully, that's what people will glean from it. I hope. No, it's true. The humor know. is so accessible. When it's framed as a joke, it's much more likely to have a profound effect on hearing it. So I think you're very correct. Well, I guess we solved all of life's problems and... We did. In only 53 minutes and seven seconds. That's amazing. Gosh, we're amazing. We are amazing. It's a a record. We're going to... I'm going to step outside of the... Do your viewers know how lucky they are? (laughs) Or listeners, excuse me. They're not looking at us. They're hearing us. That's true. (laughs) Well, I do get to hear from people pretty frequently. And I, I think that most people are so... I don't know. Everyone's just so gracious and and just sweet. You know, I love to hear from people that are like, uh, just say things like, you know, oh, I love to listen to you on the way to work or it's so encouraging. Like just the conversation that you and I just had. Mm -hmm. I know that there are nurses listening to this, new nurses, young nurses who are probably just like, oh, I felt just like exactly like David just described. And maybe that would give them the courage to stick it out, you know, and realize that, you know, it's going to be okay. You can get past this. Go get a job somewhere else. Do what you have to do. You are not alone. Don't give up. Yeah. Well, you're not. not. It's so common. It is so common for people. Absolutely. I almost quit my job after one year and I actually was able to find some support from people who were more experienced. And here I am 13 years later and I'm glad that it worked out. I experienced some of that. Really, the thing that I experienced the most was during handoff. I hated that time, that time of like, here, here's my patients and they're a complete mess because I don't, I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> because, you know, you're new. Now, you know, when I hand my patients off, like I want to have all my T's crossed and my I's dotted and everything. Like I already did this and I already did this and I already did this. You're going to have yeah. a great ship because I got you all set up. When you're new, you can't do that. You're just trying to not drown. You're just trying, trying to, to keep, keep your patient yeah, alive. alive. Isn't it funny? <laughs> though when you are going to hand off like when you find out you know what 15 minutes before who's gonna be taking your patients and if it's somebody who is super competent you're like mm-hmm. uh, okay this is gonna be this will take five minutes because they know exactly what they're what they're doing but yeah often it's somebody who's not as skilled and it takes a, a really long time to get them up to speed on what needs to happen and what did happen but that's one of the reasons why it's so important to have people who are good at what they do well it's good to have a nice mix you know you want to have a good mix on a, any unit of experienced nurses who can be there and help new nurses. But you obviously you want to have new nurses learning so that they're kind of coming up and they're becoming the experienced nurses. I feel like there just always needs to be that mix of people. It's so important. Sure. But yeah. so many times you have almost all the nurses are brand new or maybe have a year or two experience and it's just stressful and, and everyone's just blaming yeah. each other and it's just toxic. Especially if you're the one relatively senior nurse on the floor and you've got a bunch of dolphins around you. 
Well, I love dolphins myself, so I, I would I would love that. I would not have a problem with that. <laughs> and that was kind of how it was when I when I worked on the progressive care unit as a team leader. That's how it felt. There were so many new grads, and I was constant. Uh-huh. I never sat down. I needed to copy myself and be like, "You go take care of her, and then you go take care of him." And because there just aren't weren't enough experienced people, you know. But then you know what? Yeah. Those nurses that I worked with a couple of years ago become kick-ass are really nurses. Am- yeah, they're amazing nurses yeah. now, and they're yeah, precepting I mean, the thing is, like, the, other nurses. The difference between two years of nursing is amazing, the skills you pick up. But it's not only skills, it is confidence. And the only way you get confidence is if you are allowed to make mistakes without being eaten by an orca. Because God knows how many times have I messed up as a young nurse? How many times do I mess up as a senior nurse? Like Things happen. You're just like, you have a ridiculous assignment, and you're just trying to you know, take care of everybody. Occasionally you do something incorrectly, but you have to be able to go into it knowing like, yeah, you can make a mistake, but it's, it's not going to be punitive unless you would like do something really stupid and it's negligent. But for the most part, these little things are just things that happen. You just have to learn from it and move on and not feel like you're going to be punished every, every time something does happen emotionally or otherwise. Right? Yes. Absolutely. I do believe that there has to be kind of a give and take on both sides. Like we have to be comfortable as new nurses and, you know, young new nurses that are insecure, but that don't, you know, we don't know everything to be coachable, accept the criticism. That's a big skill in life to have. Yes. You need to be just almost just tough it out, you know, just be like, I need to know this. If someone is stepping up and saying, hey, did you seriously just have that sophomore NG tube hooked up to suction? And then, you know, and they're just like, well, I did. You mean you can't do that? And like, no, you can't. So if you're the experienced nurse, does there's it, a really, it doesn't work. You're never going to get okay. anything out of that little tube. But is it some, you know, a sump tube that you're talking about? Maybe that's what it, yeah, an NG tube. We probably have different yeah, names. Yeah, it goes in your nose. A nasogastric yeah. tube? Yeah. Yeah, you need a sump your nose. to take out, to do suction. You need sump, a sump tube rather than an NG tube. Yeah, because the NG tube and is it, too small and soft. Yeah, it depends on the the, the bore, you know. So a larger bore yeah. tube that's you know more sturdy, designed for that. And for example, you come across someone that had done that, and you there's a a way of doing that that you can teach the person, not make them feel horrible about it, the fact that they didn't know, and then they learned something, and they respect you for you know handling it in the right way, in a mature way, you know. So absolutely. Yeah, we got really deep here, but I think it's really important. Oh my gosh, I know, but I love this stuff. And I feel like the people who hang on to the end, they like this kind of stuff too, because, you know, they like this conversation. Should we have a secret message for all the people who hung out to the very end of the show? Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's like a little Easter egg. <laughs> well, that's what this is. It's like the preview in the Avenger movies. Yeah, <laughs> after the credits, you know. Have you considered reading any of the letters from your listeners at the end of, or beginning of the show? I should do that. I really, sh- I really do should do that. I keep thinking I want to do that. And I, it's just, it's something I should just incorporate into it. And yeah, it could be a little segment. Just start printing them off. I need to go back and, you know, print off, start printing them off and just start reading them. I would love to do that. Well, David, remind everybody where they can find you and all your shenanigans. They can find me in Oakland, California with 400,000 other people, apparently, right? <laughs> Did you say that? 400,000? We'll all be having a barbecue at my house tonight, it looks like. But if they like to find me on the web, they can go to nursepapathebook.com and find out more about my book, which is coming out in three weeks. And if they can't wait that long, they can listen to Nurse Papa the podcast, which I think is really a great show. I love putting it out. It's all about my experiences as a parent and as a pediatric oncology nurse and how those two worlds sometimes intersect. Well, you guys know that you can find me at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. If you want to email me, you can just go to our website at goodnursebadnurse.com. We're on Instagram at goodnursebadnurse and we're on Facebook and Twitter at GMB and podcast. And I guess I also should remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. Be a good nurse. Be a dolphin. Don't be an orca. <laughs> <laughs>